0: Hey, how's it going? Great, glad to hear it. My name's Jeremy Ullman. I'm the host of this podcast, Abstract, colon, The Future of Science. So what's this all about? There are thousands upon thousands of graduate students all across the world, and I'm trying to tap into their knowledge they have gained in their research over the last one to seven years. We recorded this in the past, you're listening to it in the present, and you're learning about the future, so... What better time than now to enjoy a quick episode of Abstract. Hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome. Before we hop into things, here's a quick list of the kind of questions you can expect to be answered on today's episode. So, can we construct a fire-resistant building out of wood? What are some of the biggest mass timber structures that we can build? What does sustainable infrastructure look like? Are we going to run out of concrete? And how can we maximize the renewability and sustainability of our cities? These and many more questions to be answered on today's episode of Abstract. So let's get going. Sam Schulman is doing his master's at the University of British Columbia in the faculty of Forestry's Sustainable Engineering Structural Solutions Lab. His research is focused on developing an advanced, multi-material connection for prefabricated mass timber buildings that allows for efficient assembly as well as disassembly at the building's end of life. Sam, originally from Montreal, studied building engineering during his undergrad at Concordia University. Having always had a fascination with architecture, as well as a love for math and science, choosing to focus on structural engineering was a natural decision. After graduation, Sam worked as a junior engineer for a small structural design firm in Montreal before deciding to pursue higher education in the field of mass timber construction, leading him to move out west to Vancouver. The West Coast lifestyle suits him well as he now spends almost all of his free time either skiing in Whistler, climbing in Squamish, or biking around the city. Outside of timber design, Sam's other passion is collecting vinyl records, particularly 7-inch singles from Canada and from
1: the 60s specifically. So without
0: further ado, let's welcome Sam to the podcast. Sam, how's it going?
1: Hey, Jeremy. Thanks. That was a, that was a great introduction. I'm actually very impressed that you got the name of the, the lab right in one shot. I usually mess it up, the <laughs> S-E-S. Uh, yeah, but good job. That was great. But I'm doing great, and it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited to talk to you and uh, dive into my research a little bit.
0: As am I. Very excited to have you on the show as well. And yeah, I, I was uh, really nervous about emphasizing the right words at, at the right time in that laboratory. We should maybe break that. Honestly, that would be a great place to start in terms of breaking down that extremely long laboratory name. What part of that name are you you most focused on? We have forestry, sustainable, engineering, structural,
1: solutions. Are you the solutions guy? Are you the engineering guy? Where do you fit into the mix? Well, I'd like to think I'm a bit of all of it. To me, I've always considered engineering and solutions to almost be synonymous. Like, what do engineers do? We come up with solutions for things, whether it's structural mm-hmm. or mechanical or electrical, any any of the fields. So, yeah, I'd say I fit into the kind of engineering solutions side of things. But the first word in the title of the lab is sustainable. And that's kind of where it all starts. You know, like, why did I study structural engineering and then decide to, to focus on timber? It's because I'm interested in sustainability. I'm interested in climate change. I'm interested in, you know, having a career where, you know, I'm not just building buildings out of steel and concrete and contributing to global warming and pollution. I'm interested in having a career in something I love while always thinking, you know, how can I make this career sustainable, both in terms of of a career choice, but also in terms of globally, how can I make it sustainable?
0: So this this idea of timber really struck me as something a little bit ambiguous. In terms of sustainability, right? I've been taught for many years that deforestation is a huge problem, and actually contributing to diminished environmental fortitude. So if you are involved in using timber, which comes from trees, presumably, to build buildings, to me, that's kind of like the flip side of building buildings with less... Sustainable materials, you're actually just taking away the very things that breathe oxygen
1: into our atmosphere. So, how do you kind of answer that problem? Yeah, I I love that you asked me that. I was hoping we'd dive into this. Um, And that's totally the internal dilemma, you know? Like the forestry faculty at UBC is very focused on sustainability and preserving forests. And then, you know, me and my lab, we're all, let's cut down the trees and and make buildings out of them. And that sounds (laughs) bad. And I get that. Most people think that. and, and, And parts of me feel that way too sometimes. But what's really important to think about is unlike mining for metal ores, you know, mining for the materials we used to make concrete, when we cut down a tree, we can replant it. And we often do, especially in a country like Canada, where we have, I think, almost 99% of the, of the usable forests in Canada are certified, are managed properly. So that means if you go into that forest and you cut down a bunch of trees to turn them into building products, you've got to replant those trees. It's got to be sustainable. It's got to be revitalized and rejuvenated. And what's even more interesting, and this is actually something I only learned recently while I was doing some, some research for my thesis and kind of getting into the whole research thing, is that there's been research that shows that if you had to choose between having an old growth conservation forest that hasn't been touched for thousands of years, or a forest that actually is every now and then harvested to, to create products, that second forest is actually the more sustainable one. Because an old growth forest will reach a plateau eventually of how much carbon it can sequester how much good it can do for the environment. It'll, it'll reach a plateau. It'll be great, but it's going to stop.
0: Forests sequester carbon by capturing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and transforming it into biomass through the process of photosynthesis. Carbon dioxide is one of the most commonly produced greenhouse gases. For a deep dive into climate change, check out
1: episode eight. Whereas when you're constantly rejuvenating the forest and harvesting and then replanting harvesting replanting you're actually never going to reach that plateau you're actually going to get an increased carbon abatement is what it's called so to me it kind of like forestry and protecting the forest goes hand in hand with timber construction obviously from economic point of view because you know people want to make money (laughs) that's that's important that's not really what i'm concerned about but harvesting this wood and creating products that's good for the economy especially the canadian economy because we have got a lot of wood and at the end of the day by constantly harvesting and recycling these forests, we're actually increasing the potential for carbon sequestration in these forests.
0: So that's definitely a great response. Thanks, <laughs> and, that, and that does clear things up to a certain degree. But presumably, there are trade-offs when opting for sustainable materials like timber. Mm-hmm. If it was this easy, if we could actually produce better forests by harvesting them once in a while, and they're producing these sustainable materials. There's got to be a reason why this isn't just why not every single building is
1: built out of timber. Like, what are the main trade-offs when we're opting for these kind of materials? For sure, for sure, and that that's a great question. And if we go back historically, you know, you think about you know the oldest buildings that have existed prehistorically. It was all you know light frame. You'd cut down a tree because it was nearby, and you'd build your house out of that. You know, that's kind of how things were for for hundreds of years. Um, and there's great examples of palaces and and, and buildings, especially in countries like uh, Japan these thousand-year-old timber structures that are still standing today. So what happened that we stopped using wood all of a sudden? And the best answer I can give you is, you know, the Industrial Revolution. We discovered how to make steel and how to make concrete. And these are objectively stronger materials. I, I'm not going to try to say, oh, well, you know, wood is better than steel or concrete. Like, no, you, you, a, a steel beam definitely has better properties than, you know, a two-by-four piece of wood. Like, that's, that's a, a no-brainer. Right. So with the Industrial Revolution, and with how cheap it became to use these materials to fabricate steel and concrete, it just became an economically appealing choice. And then what happened, I want to say, you know, maybe around the, well, you know, like during the Middle Ages, and, and, you know, this into the 1600s, 1700s, you know, the not too recent past, a lot of buildings were made of wood, and then a lot of buildings burnt down, a lot of cities burnt down, you know, most cities that we know about, you know, Montreal included, or cities like Chicago, or all cities all over Europe have had some kind of disaster involving, you know, a small fire starting in a building that spreads throughout the whole city, because it's all made of wood. So a lot of people got very scared and got very wary about building out of wood, because what if our whole city burns down? That's a very realistic <laughs> possibility. And um,
0: yeah, California wouldn't be a great place to start building uh, oh,
1: houses. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Too soon? So it literally, from those huge historical fires up until today, the general population has a very well-warranted fear of building in wood because we don't want our cities to burn down. And that's fine. That makes a lot of sense. That's one of the reasons why it was replaced by these other materials. And I don't know if you want to get into it now, but I have plenty to say about the fire safety of wood. It's not my specialty, but um, we could get into that if that's something you want to talk about.
0: Absolutely. Please tell me about fire safety and how that factors into what it is that you do.
1: Yeah, right. So I love this example. This is one that a lot of, you know, architects and, and engineers in the field who are really into wood, this is something they'll, they'll say, it's, you know, imagine you're trying to start a fire, you're out camping, and you've got a bunch of big logs, and you've just got a matchbook. So you light a match, you throw it in the logs. Nothing's going to happen, right? You can't just no, light no. a giant log on fire with a match. You need kindling, you need tiny little pieces of wood. And, you know, yeah. most people know that. It's its almost like we know that as, as as a fact.
0: It's a surface area problem, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So you think about, you know, back in the day, an older building built with, you know, tiny little like two by fours and relatively small pieces of wood. They would ignite if you had some kind of a fuel, if you had like, I don't know, like some cooking oil spill or if you had a fireplace going and you had enough fire, enough oxygen. It was it, it wasn't difficult to ignite these buildings. So that's why they'd often they'd often ignite. Whereas what we're using now, and the term that we've already used and that I am gonna use quite a bit is mass timber. That's a new term. Well new, relatively new. It's been in the last hundred years maybe. And mass timber, it's not just cutting down a tree and cutting a two by four out of it. What you're doing is you're taking these fundamental pieces, these two by fours, for example, and you're combining them to build these very massive elements. So that's where the term mass timber comes from. It's it's very okay. large elements. And you have a large element like this. If you think about that log you're trying to start in your campfire, if you just throw a match at it, if you just have a little fire, it's not going to catch. And what's right. what's more right. is that wood has this fantastic natural property that you'll see when you have when you start a campfire. Because when when you finally get that fire going, it'll last a, f- a few hours, right? That log's going to take a very long time to burn through. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because wood does this great thing called charring, where it it lights on fire. And the outer layer will start to crackle and spit and it'll turn black and it'll char. And that char, that material, is actually fire retardant. So what happens in a big building made of giant pieces of wood is if there's a fire in a mass timber building, it'll cause some damage to the elements, but they're going to start charring. And this char layer actually serves as a protection. And in most building codes, depending on the class of the building, you know, if it's a hospital or a condo building, there's different regulations, but uh, usually you need between one and two hour fire safety, which means the building won't collapse before two hours. That gives people plenty of time to get out. So yeah, that's why, okay. a, so so when you have these mass timber elements, they are going to char and they're going to last those one or two hours before severe structural damage ensues. So that was a very long answer to, to your question. I hope that made some sense.
0: That's great, though. I had never thought of the fact that wood has this built-in property of not wanting to burn down if it's in the form of mass timber buildings
1: exactly exactly
0: it sounds like the perfect solution
1: it does and like you said you know if that's the case why haven't we just been doing this and it's just because there's a general sense of fear in terms of fire plus wood equals bad you know that's common Mm -hmm. everyone feels that and just you know with how how Mm -hmm. easy and how we've just become so used to building with these other elements we never really considered oh but what about wood and that's kind of what's starting to happen again Woo! happy new year everybody Welcome
0: back to Abstract. No breaks here, at least in terms of releasing weekly content as we do. If you've got feedback, by the way, on any of the 30-odd episodes we've got out so far, please feel free to send that my way. This is the year of feedback. This is the year of giving. I've named it as such, so that is what it is. Once again, thank you for being here. I appreciate your presence and listenership on this podcast. It's been awesome so far. Really looking forward to some awesome interviews this year, and... Uh that's all I got to say for now. So keep listening to this episode. I'll catch you guys in the second break. And then uh... that's it. Well, it does feel like maybe there's just a bit of misinformation, right? There are a lot of people who still believe that planes are more dangerous than cars. But we know that the statistics have been out for decades saying that that's not the case, right? Much fewer people die when they're traveling by plane than by car every year.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right.
0: Hopefully this can kind of be maybe not ground zero, but ground whatever for, you know, people popping into this episode and listening and then spreading the truth about mass timber buildings and how they aren't in fact dangerous. That's exactly that's, it. Great. that's the that's the goal. Yeah. Now here's another issue, I guess, that I might see here. And hopefully you have the solution to this problem yet again. <laughs> in terms of the scale that we currently use non-mass timber materials to build buildings things yeah. like steel and whatnot yeah in terms of the rate that we're using these materials to build buildings yeah. is it actually sustainable to replace 100 percent these materials by things like mass timber or would this actually run all of our forests dry in 50 years and then we'd be screwed
1: okay okay i understand that's a great that's a great question so obviously, yeah, n- no one's saying, let's tear down every single steel and concrete building and replace it with wood. You know, if it's already there, leave it. <laughs> There's no point of, you know, yes. d- demolishing it's going to require way more energy than it is to just leave it and let it live out the rest of its useful life, of course. But that's a very important question, what you're asking. And I would say it- it's definitely the sustainable choice. We know for a fact that um, we're running out of materials we need to make concrete. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's, it, it sounds funny, but we're running out of sand, <laughs> which is actually one of the main ingredients in concrete. And obviously we have a lot of beach sand, we have a lot of desert sand, but the type of sand that goes into the aggregate that makes concrete, we're running out of that. And I, I remember I listened to a podcast a while ago where there's actually now sand mafias in the Middle East no that way. Um, because it's such a scarce resource and, and becoming yeah. so valuable that there's like these like illegal mafia groups trying to like I don't know monopolize the sand. It sounds ridiculous, but it's true. There's, there's true. It is ridiculous. It. It, it's it's but it's a scary thought because we don't think about sand as something useful. But yeah, if you think about every single building made of concrete, it needs sand. So that's the first thing is that the the materials we use to make concrete and of course steel these are not renewable materials. Every time we dig another mine and and batter the earth and take materials out of it, you know it takes millions of years for you know these dinosaur (laughs) bones to break down and do whatever you know that whole thing yeah (laughs) so continuing you know with the status quo it's not sustainable it's not responsible and the the second part of that question which i'm going to address is okay but is using wood sustainable aren't we just going to run out of forests eventually
0: yeah
1: and again the emphasis here is that wood is renewable that's like the big word i guess you can say sustainable but renewable is even more important Once you take the ore out of the ground or the sand, you know, it's not coming back for millions of years. Whereas with wood, you cut down a tree, you can plant that tree again. Within 100 years, you'll have that forest back.
0: Yes, 100 years, for sure. That's what I had in my mind in, in terms of the sustainability of that. But presumably it would
1: catch up to us. That's at least what my okay, intuition is. Yeah, was. sorry. That, and that's what I was going to get to. Again, so I don't want to be like throwing numbers out there that I don't have references for, but there's a building in Prince George in BC called the Wood Design Center. It's part of the University of Northern British Columbia. They have a, a great mass timber program. And the architect who designed that building, this by, by the name of Michael Green, he's like one of my like major influences. I think he's fantastic. He only works in timber. I've seen a couple of his talks and he he says that in that building, it's not a huge building. It's maybe three stories. It covers like a small city block. It's like a standard university building. Yeah. It's all mass timber. Again, I'm not exactly sure about the number here, but I think he said the amount of time it would require for the global forest to um, regenerate the amount of wood used in that building, the columns, the beams, the floors, you know, it's all made of wood. It would take the forest about two minutes to rejuvenate that much wood. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gives you an idea of, you know, it seems like we'd be using a lot, but there's a lot of forest.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to kind
1: of grasp what this two minutes really means. Again, I don't remember if, if, it's, if it's two minutes or one minute or five minutes, right. it, but it's, it's a very small amount of time. Mm-hmm. But, but it's a very fair question. It, you're right. If all of a sudden overnight we switched to, okay, we're building every single building out of wood, uh-huh. that, that would inarguably have a strain on the global forest. Especially because only a certain percentage of the world's forests are actually sustainably managed. You know, if we went down to countries where they don't have sustainable management and they have illegal labor and they're just tearing these forests down without replanting them. Yeah, that would have horrible, horrible consequences, uh, environmentally speaking, uh, in terms of climate change. That's why I want to emphasize again that, you know, mass timber construction, building out of wood and sustainably man- managed forests go hand in hand yeah you're right if we just raise all the forests to build buildings in i don't know maybe it'll take 100 years maybe it'll take 500 years we'll run out of forest eventually we need to mm-hmm. replant we need to do this sustainably and if, if i could just throw in this this next little thing which actually ties into my research which which is kind of neat so what we're saying if we just start building a lot out of wood we're going to run out of it fair enough we'll be able to replant it but we, ne- we might need to wait 100 years for those forest to grow again And that's why a major emphasis in (laughs) terms of um, sustainability of wood is actually increasing the lifespan of the building. And that's something that a lot of people don't think about. They think, okay, let's build out of wood. Done. We've solved climate change. We're good. But like you're saying, building out of wood, it might delay climate change. It might delay some of the the consequences. But if we don't do it responsibly, we're just going to run out of wood and we're just going to raise all our forests. So that's why part of my research is that I'm looking into a connection that is easy to assemble and disassemble because being able to build the building is one thing, but being able to take it apart and use it again is a whole other thing. And that's a big part of this whole sustainability question is that we have to stop thinking about construction. I mean, a lot of things, but construction, especially as a linear process, as a get your raw materials, fabricate your, your concrete, your steel, your wood or whatever, put it together, you know, it'll last 50 years, maybe a hundred if we're lucky. And then we tear it down and throw it away. When you tear it down and throw it away, Sure, you've saved a 100 years because you've made a building out of it. But that's the same thing as, you know, burning that forest down, essentially. Right. So if you can, after 50 or 100 years, take that building apart and use those building blocks. Like, think about these like almost like Lego pieces. You take the Lego pieces yeah. apart, you can make another Lego thing out of it. That's one of the ideas behind my research is that we want to build this building out of wood and then take it apart and use those pieces again. So we don't have to go back to the forest and tear it down again. You can give the forest a break, say, okay, like here at Forestry, you're good. We don't need any more wood. We've got all this wood now that we can reuse for a while. Does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. It's just there seems to be a limitation definitely to the kinds of buildings that we can do with this. I can't imagine disassembling a skyscraper. Fair enough. That's... Is that what you're looking at, though? Like, are, are you looking at,
1: at something that large scale? Me personally, no. <laughs> as, a okay. master, as a master student, I'm not getting that ambitious. But there are people who've done studies, very robust studies. That firm I mentioned earlier, Michael Green Architecture, they've done a study that essentially proves you could build an Empire State Building out of wood. It can be done. Mm-hmm. The reason it's not being done, obviously, again, like we talked about, you know, people wouldn't be comfortable in a building that tall out of wood for you know, fire safety, earthquake safety. But it, logistically, it could be done. But also the biggest holdback is that building codes won't allow it. Currently in Canada, the 2020 building code has pushed the limit with quite a few restrictions of master rebuildings to 12 stories, which is mm-hmm. pretty good. It used to be eight. So now in 2020, it's become 12. And I think a few provinces have already adopted it.
0: What pushed that limit upwards? Uh, Was it that there's been more research into how to actually make these materials more structurally sound?
1: Exactly. Yeah, there's just, I don't want to use the word lobby because it has a very negative connotation. But yeah, there, there's researchers, there's the Canadian Wood Council, there's, um, there's all these people who very firmly believe, like me, that, that wood is the material of the future. It's the material of the past, and it's also the material of the future. And all of this research has shown that, you know, we could build taller with it. So the code responded, the code committees responded, said, okay, we'll go from 8 to 12. A lot of people aren't satisfied with that because we know for a fact we can build taller than 12, but you kind of take what you can get and you go one step at a time.
0: Okay. Fair enough. As a slight side note, is there land on earth right now that is not occupied by forest that could be occupied by forest? That is, Can we actually create more forest or more forested
1: land that we could then harvest from? It's a very interesting question. Again, I'm not a forester, so I don't know if I have the exact answer. Okay. What I could say is that the forest's biggest enemy is land conversion. And what land conversion is is when you take a forest, yeah, you yeah, raise it to the ground, and you use that land for farming, for example. You use that to, to raise cattle. And that happens a lot in countries where there is no forest management policy in place. You'll have private companies or, or even individuals, I guess, going into these old-growth forests, cutting it all down because they want to farm cattle because that's a very profitable business having a forest maybe isn't as profitable so there's huge swaths of land huge areas huge land masses on earth that used to be forests that are no longer forests because someone cut it down to do something else with it if we can reclaim all of those areas and turn them back into forests, for sure there's plenty of landmass that used to be forested that can now go back to being forested this is a great point and it's 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 lending to this idea that i think about a
0: lot which is this idea of trade-offs. Of course, I'm talking to you. So you are biased. I'm sorry, but no, you are. No, of course I'm biased. <laughs> biased. towards turning everything to mass timber, manufacturing. We want to right? Trees are our life. Yeah. Now, if I had somebody else on the podcast who's working for the farming industry, yeah. right? Yeah. Then they would say, well, actually, we need to cut down these trees so we can have the cattle's feet on the ground, those hooves on the ground, right. so we could feed people. And so, of course, you know, I'm down to have a little biased conversation here about the beauty of trees and mass timber, by all means. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to recognize that, like we were talking about before, there are certain trade-offs. One of them is economic. But the other one is that if we say trees have to stay here, then we're maybe taking away the opportunity for other companies, private or otherwise, to take over that
1: land and then have that be more, you know, reserved for farming. Right. And – That's fair. Yeah, you're right. This is a bit biased. And I agree with you. Obviously, we need farmland. People need to eat. We need to produce, uh, you know, for people who eat meat, we need to produce meat, we need to produce vegetables, you know, that's all very true. When it becomes dangerous is when there's no, there's no regulations in place, where the country says, do whatever you want, cut down the forest. You know, if if you're going to make the country billions of dollars by selling beef, by all means, cut down the forest and start a cattle. That's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's fine in theory, but but in practice, so not only are you cutting down a forest, which is bad, obviously. It, we always joke, yeah. you know, cow farts. like that. You know, yeah. cow farts are bad for the environment. That's true. <laughs> like you know, raising yes. raising cattle is, is is terrible for the environment. And like, I, I I'm not trying to like be all vegan here. I'm not a vegan or anything, but um, for sure, it, it's it's not good for the environment. But obviously, it, it we need it. We need we need farming. We need other industries. I think the the really important point here is that. There, the there needs to be a trade-off we can't just have we, you know, we can't just cut down forests to to, to produce more farmland there, there's land out there that can be farmed there's meadows there's areas that aren't forested naturally right um, so it's really falls on policymakers and decision makers in different countries to to put a foot down and say okay like obviously we need the forestry industry we need the agricultural industry how can they coexist sustainably and safely And now, a word
0: from our sponsors. Yeah, we don't have any sponsors yet, so if you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, abstract, colon, the future of science, whether you are a university or research institute or any organization looking to support the show, please reach out to us over email at abstractcast at gmail.com. If you don't have the means to support us financially, and you're just a dedicated listener, drop us a line at the same email. We'd be so happy to hear from you and get some of your feedback on the podcast so far. That's all from me for now. Let's head back to the episode. So here's what I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. okay? This discussion has been very reminiscent in some very weird way of discussions I've had with people studying AI about Uh ethics, surrounding AI, right? There there seems to be a lot more focus on what the artificial intelligence systems are actually doing Mm -hmm. and a lot less focus on the ethics and actually figuring out how to put in place some ethical system where we could put some framework that says, oh, this is actually the box that AI needs to operate within in in terms Mm -hmm. of morals, right? Like if we're creating things that are pseudo-human, then we're going to want some kind of ethical system to be in place for that. So, in the same way that we need to actually work on the ethics before we actually start rolling out humanoid robots, I think maybe one potential solution here is to up the focus on the sustainably managed forests. Of course. So that we could nip the potential problem of
1: overforestation in the butt, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why um, one of the many reasons I'm happy to be in Canada, because uh, Canada has. Might be the first or the second largest landmass in terms of a country, in terms of percentage of our land. You know, like everyone in Canada lives in Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, which is you know <laughs> practically in the United States. We're so close to the border. Yes, it's like yeah. an insane amount of Canada is just covered in forests, and luckily we have a head on our shoulders as a country, and we say, okay, we need to protect this land. We need to use it for you know economic purposes, but we need to protect it. So in a country like Canada those conversations have already happened and they're and they're constantly happening is you know what are the ethics of this what are the ethics of raising this beautiful natural land that's been here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years is it ethical to go and you know cut down this thousand year old forest that's something I, I even as someone who supports mass timber i have issues with that living in bc i've seen some of these old growth forests and it's like being inside of these forests it's like an otherworldly experience it's like you're going back in time thousands of years so i would say Yeah, there's a certain limit to how much we should really go in and turn natural, beautiful land into some kind of an economic engine. This is purely
0: just my attempt to unbias the conversation as much as possible, you know, just uh, for the sake of taking all these different things into account in terms of other industries and ethics, etc. You did also mention that you had a little stint working at a structural design firm, so where does where does the design element come in here? I'm I'm definitely interested in the more architectural side of this this debate as well. So let's touch on that now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So any good engineer will tell you that engineering and design are the same thing. An architect will tell you architecture and design are the same thing. And and, and they're both right. You know, design is a kind of a vague term. You can design a building aesthetically as an architect does or you know programmatically to make it work for its inhabitants, to make it interesting and beautiful and all that and convenient and then you have the engineers who design it to function physically to stand up and not fall down so when I said you know I worked in a design firm that's just a synonym for an engineering firm And you'll hear a lot lot of engineers use that term. They'll say, you know, I work for a design firm. Because there's some engineers that work for, um, you know, contractors. So they'll be on site overseeing the work, making sure that the contractors are doing the job properly or following the drawings. But engineers who really work in kind of like the pure sense of engineering, it's design. And design really is the math and the science. It's the calculating, you know, how big does this beam need to be not to collapse? Or Mm -hmm. how big does this column need to be to support all this load on top of it? So when I use the word design, it's really just a synonym for engineering.
0: Sure. I actually wasn't aware that there's a much more functional side to the design here. When I hear design, I immediately think of the aesthetics. Just naturally, I, I'm sure if you ask different people when I say design, what do you think of? Maybe a handful will say oh, aesthetics and a handful will say functionality, depending on what kind of field they're studying in. So, so you're doing things like designing in 3D modeling programs, stuff like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, like even something like 3D modeling, there's the architectural side of it. You know, software is like a Revit, which is an Autodesk product. Uh, where architects will literally do an entire 3D mock-up of the building aesthetically to see what it's going to look like and then you've got engineers who will also use that for a certain sense because not only do we need to design things you know mathematically we need to make sure that they're going to fit within this architectural program but then we'll use software that is you know doesn't show the building as beautifully but it does calculations you know you can put this building in the software and run an earthquake on it and see what happens so that's great so design it, it does have these kind of two meanings but Really what I believe is that it's not two separate meanings. They really go hand in hand. A lot of people think this way, and this is maybe like a lot of people will call this modernism in terms of an architectural term, but yeah. the the idea that form and function kind of go hand in hand. And I, I really believe that. I believe the buildings that impress me the most and that I find the most aesthetically pleasing aren't the ones where you know they cover everything up with gypsum board and paint and, and it looks all nice. It's the ones where the structure is allowed to express itself because... Mm-hmm. Without the structure, the building wouldn't be there. And that's why I like structural engineering, because I love architecture. I love the way buildings look, but I know that that look wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the structure. So when you can use structures, not only as this very rational, rigid, mathematical, okay, this is what it needs to be to to stand up, but use that to also express how the building works. To me, that's, that's design. That's like architecture and engineering. They are two separate fields, but to me, they need to work together if they want to produce the most efficient. And the most aesthetically pleasing buildings.
0: That's beautifully said. And you've conjured up an image that makes me fully understand exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I loved looking at those anatomical models of the human torso where you could see all the musculature and the yeah. veins and the, and all the visceral organs. Even though the human form is beautiful from the outside, you know, mm-hmm. there definitely is something beautiful about a fully naked body. Of course, um, I don't know why I was so drawn towards the, the multicolored interior mm-hmm. where you actually see the structure. You know, you could see how the bones connect to each other, how all the, all the capillaries and the arteries lead together. Just seeing that internal structure was always really mesmerizing for me. So yeah.
1: I could see that definitely carrying over here into the structure of the building. Yeah, being absolutely. Yeah. I often, when I talk about this with people, I often use the analogy that I love structure because it's the skeleton. It's what holds yes. everything together. And, and to me, it's, it's all about honesty. If you build anything, whether it's a structure or, or a sculpture or, or a piece of art, I think the most important part of art is being honest in what you're doing. And if you're going to build something and then cover it up to make it look like what you want it to look like, that's not honest. That's, it might be interesting. It might be creative. Mm-hmm. But to me, the most beautiful, the most like pure artistic expression is being honest with the materials you're using, with your limitations, and with what's going on on the inside. I think that, that that's really what drew me to, to structural engineering is that you can't have the outside expression without what's going on on the inside.
0: I think it's really cool that you've also seen both sides of that, right? As a human being with eyeballs, you can observe the buildings that either you've designed or that you just walk by on the street, but you've also seen the the back end of it. So I definitely appreciate that perspective. Mm-hmm. A couple more questions. One is, what is the title of your thesis? What is the title? <laughs> do you have of one?
1: I, I, I do. It's constantly changing. Right now, it is deconstructible hybrid connections for prefabricated mass timber buildings, which I think you almost said word for word in the introduction. And I think those are all things we talked about. We talked about you know the importance of deconstruction of being able to reuse the elements. We talked about yep. mass timber, what that is, what's what's going to be happening in the future with mass timber. And I guess the one thing we didn't really talk about is the word connection. But I think most people understand a connection is something that. I can't even think of a better word to say than connects two things together. (laughs) Sure. Quite literal. Okay, awesome. I I just
0: wanted you to kind of vocalize that just as a nice little tying off point, just put a nice little bow on the whole discussion. And just so I I can make sure that we've actually covered all the critical points of that. Yeah.
1: And just like the the last little thing that I really should have mentioned, because this is probably one of the most important things about what is a sustainable material. And, you you know, you were asking, you know, once we cut down these forests, we're going to run out of forests. It's all very true. But the thing about wood is that once you've harvested it once you've transformed a tree into a a wood product that wood continues to sequester carbon that's a very important point that I want to emphasize here is that a wooden building sequesters carbon so from the get-go a wooden building it's 100% objectively more sustainable than any other building because it's holding carbon inside of it like a tree would. if you're talking about you know how much carbon can a forest hold and if you turn that forest into a building it's still holding all that carbon I kind of threw that in at the end well, there but i, I wanted no, no, to no, emphasize no. This that. this is
0: this is great i just was under the impression that there's this continual process of not only trees holding carbon but also that they're actively pulling carbon out of the air and then re-releasing that as oxygen do do the t- the mass timber buildings actually have that in out no so, the, so i said so
1: they, they don't photosynthesize obviously because they just yes. now dead wood yeah okay that's but what i thought, I thought. That, that's true yeah, that's true yeah like a living forest will continually photosynthesize and produce oxygen that's that's for sure that's true a building won't do that But in terms of the biggest goal for humanity in the next 50 or so years is to limit the amount of carbon we're producing. And obviously living forests do that. But if we need to go and turn the living forest into a building, it's still going to sequester that carbon. It's still going to hold that inside and keep that out of the atmosphere. And that, again, ties into the whole point of the importance of not just deconstructing and burning this wood at the end of the building's life. Because once you burn that wood, then you're letting all the carbon out. So if we can build these buildings out of wood if they're going to sequester all this carbon then when the building's done its useful job we take it apart and use that wood again we're golden i mean we're golden i mean it's, it's more complicated than that we didn't just solve global warming but
0: you're wooden i guess we're I wooden
1: know. yeah <laughs> yeah anyways i just wanted to throw that in there maybe that's not relevant but i i, I think it's just something I, I should have mentioned earlier
0: if it's something that you felt strongly enough about that you wanted to throw it in right at the end then i will keep it that okay stay. wonderful this brings us to our final question of yes. the day. Okay. And thank you so much. This has been really fun so Yeah, far. it has. So imagine that you are standing at the front of an auditorium that has a 1,000-person capacity and it's filled to the brim. Mm-hmm. What do you tell the audience?
1: Uh, uh, like, am I talking about what? <laughs> <laughs> this
0: you, you could interpret this question as applying to your research or just as a general life experience.
1: Wow. 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 Okay. That's a 1, big thousand, one. You have 1,000 people's, people's attention.
0: attention what do you tell them? them?
1: Well, that's a good question. I um, well, First of all, I, I don't think I'm, I'm wise enough to, to share too much knowledge with that many people. But if I had to, if I was on the spot and I had to, I think moving out to Vancouver was a hard thing for me to do. Leaving Montreal, my home, um, coming out somewhere where I, I didn't know anyone, it was a very scary decision to make. But now after a year, I've got to say it was probably the, the best decision I've ever made in my life. So I think if I had to say something to a bunch of people who maybe were going to be inspired by what I had to say, I'd say take the risks you know do the hard thing do the scary things uh they might not always work out but you're damn sure you're gonna learn something from it and good will come of it eventually i think that's awesome <laughs> good question
0: that's the big takeaway yeah cool man cool very cool oh i love it so this is actually going to be the first episode of 2021 so oh this is very, very i exciting. didn't even realize that we're going to ring in the new year very, very exciting stuff. Thank you so much for coming on on
1: the show today. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a, an absolute blast. I, I, I was, I'm, you know, I'm glad to know that I, I, I know more than I think I do. I, I wasn't sure if I'd have enough to say, but thanks for pulling yeah. that out of me.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. This would be no fun if I was just leading the entire conversation. So I, I'm really just a, a mediator for your knowledge. Perfect. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, Jeremy. It was a pleasure. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out at abstractcast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts. So feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy.